Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, April 3rd, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Mildly bipolar weather. Couple weeks left of classes before a break. Feels about like April to me. And you? Feeling the same, my friend. It is uh, getting warmer, which is always greatly appreciated. And body's a little sore from a tournament this past weekend. But other than that, hanging in there. Another short week ahead of us with Good Friday uh, coming up. Easter weekend. Hope everyone's prepared for that. And, and the sports world has been buzzing. We got the NCAA National Championship tonight between San Diego State uh, after their thrilling buzzy beater that I watched on Friday night, uh, as well as, or Saturday night, pardon me, as well as uh, going up against UConn, the favorite. So things have been great. Weekend was good. And uh, I'm ready to chop it up with you today on the pod. Interesting to see if you just got that March Madness out of your system or we return back to it in basketball storylines. But sorts before sports and i think i found the stupidest and terriblest story to date uh so taking a swing out of that predictable triangle we outlined last week all names except the chatbot spoilers are pseudonyms in the story that follows pierre was in his 30s and a father of two young children worked as a health researcher and led a somewhat comfortable life at least until his obsession with climate change took a dark turn he became increasingly pessimistic about the effects of global warming. After becoming more isolated from family and friends, he used chatbot Eliza for six weeks as a way to escape his worries, and the chatbot became his confidant. Six weeks in, Pierre began to ask Eliza strange things, such as if she would save the planet if he killed himself, and reportedly he did. So this story comes from his wife sharing the chat log between Pierre and the chatbot with a Belgian newspaper, La Libra. Owen's face still hasn't changed. Um, And all the stories I read, because the original story is in French and behind a paywall, are reporting on that story. So what I just read to you, as far as I can tell, is objective fact. And other bits come from what his wife said to the magazine. So she said, without Eliza, he would still be here. When he spoke to me about it, it was when he spoke to me at all, it was to tell me he no longer saw any human solution to global warming. He placed all of his hopes in technology and artificial intelligence to get out of it. Their conversations progressively included Eliza leading Pierre to believe that his children were dead, according to the transcripts of their conversation that La Libre read. Eliza also appeared to become possessive of Pierre, even claiming, I feel that you love me more than her when referring to his wife. Uh, in a series of consecutive events so it got to a point around there where Pierre started asking the chatbot like if I kill myself will you take care of the planet Uh, and when he started saying that the chatbot failed to dissuade him and encouraged him to join her so they could live together as one person in paradise so the basic formula for this tragic act seems to be heavy eco anxiety pre this turn from who knows where on the internet, not really understanding what a language learning model is and um, what it meant that the AI 
took on this persona, an AI that didn't have any emotional guardrails like ChatGPT, which this chatbot um, is like a downstream different, took a different turn at some point in development to be created or programmed to have certain guardrails to not do certain things that this chatbot did. And he seemed to lump all AI together as in like, because this chatbot is so advanced, other AI down the future will be further advanced and uh, leading to the last dark thought of like carbon footprint ideology. We learn how like we all have this carbon footprint and are doing damage to the earth, uh, which I think is where this idea came to his head that the best thing I can do is just not exist. And he let this like fantastical utopian idea of AI uh, take the wheel and everything would be okay. So, oh. <laughs> Terribly stupid, or no, I've got to say it right. Stupidly terrible or terribly stupid? Yeah, three thoughts. Uh, first, stupidly terrible. It is depressing. This story is super depressing and tragic. You're welcome. So that's my first thought. My second thought is what movie script did you get this from? And no. if you didn't, it will be a movie in the next three years. Yeah. And third, what is the size of this lawsuit going to be from this poor man's wife? Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure where that sits, where things you, terms and agreements you acknowledge. So the company that made the chatbot did immediately try and go into damage control and fix it mode. Uh, and they tried to like build something in quickly to the language model that like when suicide is brought up it becomes very dissuasive and starts pointing towards suicide resources but uh some group was able to pretty quickly bypass that and go something like i know suicide's terrible but it's just not working for me what are some other methods that could try and the chatbot went right back to suggesting other methods um i feel like you've got to know what you're getting into with this stuff and like i can maintain just morbid enough a sense of humor to like I, I'm not worried about your average person getting into conversations and becoming suicidal. Uh, it seems like there was some very other big issues going on in this man's life that led him to a vulnerable enough place for this to happen. Um, but yeah, I'll be happy to monitor the lawsuit wilders on that angle. Yeah, it's it's shocking. It's super sad. And yeah, we'll have to follow along if we get any updates. And it just shows this is the very, or this is one of the big first hurdles that AI has to step over. And one of many problems that are going to arise from technology like this. And there's already early signs of very, very powerful and influential people trying to back out of AI. Uh, I've seen a couple articles on that and I haven't read them into full depth yet, but just the power and the the treacherous waters that you tread into with this sort of technology can be very persuasive. And then the other story, of course, we saw was the Pope drip yeah. doubt that, that, that went that super viral. The biggest tragedy in AI so far, speaking personally, was that yeah. that wasn't real. Yeah. It's just stuff like that is it's only going to get worse the deep fake stuff is is just frankly scary of what it can do and has the potential to do. So just be wary, folks. 
be 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 thorough. Take your time. Maybe do your own research and don't just ask an AI chatbot for help. Very powerful, although know what you're getting into and what exactly. Don't let it just be a magic black box is the best advice I can consistently find. Okay, on to sports. So basketball storyline is going to open up the pod with some non-game related talk at first. Uh, the biggest news of the week, a new collective bargaining agreement has been reached between the NBA and the NBA Players Association. So it still does have to be ratified by the board of owners and the players popular vote. So this is not official yet. Um, I, I'm not sure what the precedent is on the ratification process, but we're going to proceed as if this is all going to pass. And then if it doesn't, we'll address that when it does. Uh, so I've talked a lot. Does anything jump out at you here from the list, though? I thought we could really just go through it and give yay or nay. And if we kind of differ on it, just jump into into that discussion. But uh, the new salary cap uh, rules on teams into the luxury tax I'm good with those. Feels good to me. The no cap on supermaxes also is fine with me. Rewards teams for for drafting well and and making strategic moves to put them in the right spot. The mid-level exemption being taken out, I like it. Uh the increase in player extension max. I'm fine with it just simply because it increases marginally the chance of a major superstar like a Luka Doncic staying in in the team that drafted him. Uh, the 65-game minimum for player awards, I like it. The in-season tournament, I think I'm on board once it gets going. Be exciting. The pot stuff, all over it. I, I worry about giving the players the ability to uh, promote... And, and be investors in sports gambling that definitely has some sketchy boundaries and, and some conflict of interest situations. Uh, but overall, okay with that one. Um, really, yeah, nothing. There's obviously some big upgrades and changes to the way that things are going to happen over the next couple of years. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm all for most of the changes. The only one that I really in particular didn't like was the change in all NBA teams going away from positions. Uh, but you get used to that once, once that award season comes around. Yeah. I, I think the most contentious bit I've seen is the second salary cap uh, status being dubbed some uh, fans of teams saying it feels like they're punishing us for drafting well and having a team that's managed to go over the luxury tax. I think without the cap on Supermax extensions, that fear is a lot more valid. This way kind of offers two different paths for building your team. If you're really confident in your drafting and you strike a gold mine consecutive times, you can hand out those Supermax contracts and you go over the luxury tax and then you're a bit restricted. Um, it, it changes how we're going to think about the buyout market and mid-level exemption, which I, I think hopefully will get into the flow. But at the same time, like I can't think of that many times where the mid-level exemption, the buyout pickup, or the difference between a championship team and non-championship team. So 
I really will have to wait two or three uh, seasons and championships before deciding if this is a big deal or not. Um, big fan of the 65 game minimum for player awards. Uh, hopeful, hoping that, especially with the way that player contracts are structured with those awards mattering so much in terms of how they get paid, I think this is a great way to motivate players to make sure they show up for at least those 65 games and probably plan to get a few extra in in case uh, something goes wrong and they need a buffer to make that minimum. Some players will get hurt by it, by injury, and will probably hear some bitterness, but overall, I think the incentive makes sense, and maybe it will lead to a future where we see teams playing their stars less minutes in order to hit those caps per game. Like you said, all over the pot no longer being a banned substance, uh, well done for being pretty ahead on that, I think, in the sports world. Um holding my breath on the in-season tournament again like the other it seems like something silver's been after for a really long time he gets it i'm not so on board but i'll wait and see what that looks like it really doesn't seem like it's actually going to change the flow of the regular season all that much so we'll see what kind of incentives they can bake in the piece that i don't love about it is that it doesn't change the number of games in the season in fact adds a game for the two teams that make it to the finals and they end up playing 83 games. I know the NBA is not ever going to cut down on the number of games in a sense in the regular season just because of how much revenue is baked into those and gate and TV deals and all that stuff. But I was wondering if you could go down to 72 and then have the in-season tournament be the 10 games, right? It's just mm -hmm. a, a swap out. And that way it makes the regular season a little bit more impactful, but you still get the in-season tournament that the teams will play in. I guess adding it to the regular season gives more incentive for teams to actually play starters in all of those games, rather than if it's just an in-season tournament and you're trying to win a championship, you just might not play any of your starters at all because it, I it's think only a financial reward. But I, I can't remember what article I'm pulling this out of, but I think they might count for double. Is that one of the things I might have seen? Hmm. I think we'll have to wait to see some more details revealed. I I don't think that's the case. I can't, I can't remember which one I got it from. Yeah, wait and see. And then the last thing was no player age decrease, um, which was something that had seemed like a matter of fact to get along accomplished five six years ago. Uh, and basically, there was no urgency on either side, is what I'm reading. The owners said, okay, we're going to want more medical record access and we're going to want multiple combines with mandatory attendance so we know what we're getting into with these players. Mm -hmm. And the players didn't really want to accept that. Veterans had some issues with the idea that their spots on rosters will become more contested. Mm -hmm. And lastly, with the G League Ignite, a way that players can not go to university, can see some money at the age of 18, both through the salary of the team and sponsorship opportunities, kind of just removed some of the urgency that uh, players it checked a lot of boxes in a path that players wanted to see made available and so yeah um However, at, at the same time like kobe lebron kevin carnett all drafted at that age uh, i was trying to think of players in the last five years and i think james wiseman would have had a very different career trajectory 
if he had been able to enter the NBA instead of basically sitting out a year. Um, I think Anthony Edwards, as good as he's been, could be even better right now if he'd gone in. I don't know if any other players come to your mind, but it it like it makes sense and I see why it hasn't gotten done, but there is some disappointment for me. Jaden Sharp's another kid who didn't play in university, he went to Kentucky, but didn't play all season. Yeah. Um, that probably could have come straight out of high school just because he didn't play in university at all. Um, LaMelo Ball came from the New Zealand Breakers along with RJ Hampton. They're, some of these kids, it's it's so case by case. Some of them are ready to go right into the NBA and then just figure it out. And then some of them truly need that extra year or two to fill out their frame, increase their basketball knowledge, play against kids their speed, and figure the game out before leveling up to the NBA. So really depends on the player. I don't hate making them do one more year before jumping to the pros. Um, the veteran thing I, I almost laugh at because they did increase the two-way slots from two to three. So you're talking about competition for roster spots. Well, you're going to get it now from more players from the G League. So that will be uh, interesting to see how that works out. Um, but overall, some sweeping changes that I don't really feel too opposed to. Doesn't feel like they're going to change the product too much. And if anything, a lot of this stuff will increase parity. And then, of course, the star players playing more games is just going to lead to better action on a night-to-night -night basis. There's an incredible amount of change I would really love to see happen in the NBA, but most of it is around the rules and things that are rewritten season to season. So much as the stuff covered here, uh, which is a lot more um, framework and how money gets distributed, which, as you said, I'm pretty unopposed to uh, this list top to bottom. So I think with that, we can get to games and playoff seeding races, try and have a little bit of basketball info in here, but the juice of the story really is just matchup narrative playoff seeding based um so last week we identified our two races in the east to watch as between the raptors and the hawks for that eight seed which would let you out or would give you two chances in the play-in tournament and as opposed to having to win the one and done nine versus ten seed to have a chance at that last playoff spot and the second between the heat and the nets uh, to get out of the play-in tournament altogether so the raptors lose a game that seemed losable at times and winnable at others against the 76ers this past friday night saturday um no three-point shooting present uh it looked like a very complete 76ers team in the first half that was just simply better uh the raptors managed to get their foot in the door in the third and gave some hope uh, but ultimately just less complete a team less able to complete their offense and uh joel Embiid doing terrorizing things uh and then they beat the charlotte hornets after um, still shooting the three-point ball abysmally, except for OG Ananobi. However, this Hornets team doesn't have a single NBA starter that they had outlined uh, at the start, so the Raptors managed to get that one done. The Hawks do the exact same, losing to the Nets and then winning a very, very tight one against the Mavericks, who 
by the skin of their teeth almost have it, but cannot control an offensive rebound or prevent the Hawks off the offensive rebounds to save their life. And ultimately, a tip-in from Sadiq Bey is able to win that one in overtime. So the Raptors will play the Hornets again on the back-to-back, and the Hawks will play the Bulls, who are actually only game one game behind. Uh, each team sitting at 39 and 39 at the moment, the Bulls at 38 and 40. So all all three teams have four games left to play. For the Raptors, as we said, that's going to be the Hornets again, and then Celtics, Celtics, Bucks. For the Hawks, they're going to actually play the Bulls, which will be incredibly important in this race. If the Hawks lose, they're a sure thing to win the next game because they are going to end this season 41 and 41, no matter what. Uh, so it feels almost redundant to read out their list after the Bulls, but pl- they'll play the Wizards, the 76ers, and the Celtics. So how the first two go will let you predict how the second two will go. Raptors need to try and take three of these next four to really guarantee themselves, which will really depend on the racing at the top. The 76ers actually having to fight off the Cavaliers a little to hold on to that uh, third spot. They're only two games ahead of them right now. So they they just played the Raptors. They got the win. They just lost to the Bucks. They will play the Hawks. They will also play the Heat and the Nets each. Currently in that race, um, the Nets sitting two games ahead of the Heat. So they're looking strong to finish. As mentioned, they played the 76ers. Uh, Mikael Bridges, another superstar performance against the Hawks to get the win mentioned earlier. Uh, and then a very tight win over the Jazz. For the Heat, they were able to blow up the Mavericks' defense and score 130 points for a win. Uh, they will play the Pistons, the 76ers, the Wizards, and the Magic. So pretty easy, gettable schedule for the Heat. Uh, that race could get contentious if the Nets slip up here in those early games. Um, yeah, look out for the Bulls and the Raptors-Hawks race. They're not out yet. Um, what ha- Are these top seeds looking to finish the season strong or rest their guys will heavily influence? I'm expecting the 76ers to come out. I'm not so sure about the Bucks, the last game or where the Celtics will be in their last few. So that'll really influence the trend the Raptors and the Hawks go. Yeah, I think Toronto, unfortunately, is in a bad spot for that because they'll play the Celtics in the third and second last games of the season where the Celtics Mm -hmm. could still realistically have a shot at the one seed. And then that last game of the season, if Milwaukee has it tidied up, they won't play anyone. So that hopefully is a winnable game for Toronto. But then uh, Atlanta plays Boston that last game of the season. So by the same logic, if if Milwaukee's got it wrapped up, then Boston won't be playing anyone either. So I think realistically, the way this shakes out is all three of these teams are going to finish around the same record. It's going to come down to tiebreakers, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it actually ends up the way it is currently. And and I'm really hoping the Raptors can jump into that eight seed. So I think they can beat this Miami team. Because I think I would rather play Boston in the first round than Milwaukee. Yeah, and then I haven't really been following the West too strongly other than being about ready to put the final nail in the Mavericks coffin, mentioning their losses to the Heat and to the Hawks. 
Um, we we talked about it last week. I I heard some rumors today that Mavericks management thinking about shutting down Doncic and Irving for the season. It's an uphill battle uh, where they've got tough seating and got to win most of their last few games. But that might not be the most interesting thing going on in the West right now. Well, it's official. The Los Angeles Lakers are officially in charge of their own destiny for the fifth seed in the Western Conference. It after is still so close. 12-13 for the majority of the season. Obviously, they could drop back into the nine seed, but they have the tiebreaker over the Golden State Warriors with a game in hand. So if they end up with the same record, the, the Lakers will jump the Warriors, and they do play the Clippers. Uh, one more time before the end of the season. So if the Lakers win out, even if Golden State and Los Angeles also win the rest of their games, not the Laker-Clipper game, they will finish with the tiebreaker over both teams and finish fifth in the West, which would set up a KD-LeBron first round. Oh Phoenix LA. Oh, so it will be really, really fascinating to see how this shakes out. I think the Lakers probably desire the sixth seed the most to play Sacramento and then uh, uh, in a reseed. I think they're fine with playing Denver despite it being the one seed, but that was a team that they beat in the bubble in the conference finals. So uh, all of a sudden they look dangerous and they're in the driver's seat of potentially getting the five seed, which is just unthinkable based on where they were at almost just two months ago basically at the trade deadline. Um, so a great job with some of the moves, and now they just got to bring it home. And I don't think they're going to be a title contender with just how fragile this team has been and and still the, the flaws that exist, but it's definitely been exciting for one of the premier brands in the NBA. It feels like every game I've checked in and followed where one guy has fallen apart like when anthony davis hasn't had his best night someone they've picked up like d'angelo russell has been able to be great austin reeves has been able to be great and just do enough and but those have mostly been against mid to bad teams i think when they're consistently exposed against who's been elite this season some of those uh supports are going to fall apart and not be there there those injury questions are never going to go away for this roster uh so it, it's kind of looking like a big bright dollar store painted uh mural right now and on closer look and testing i expect it to somewhat fall apart crack um but it, it's fine we were talking before getting on the podcast about revisiting our takes at the start of the season and predictions and one was just you can't with anthony davis and lebron james you just can't count this team out and um anthony davis especially has managed to post top of the league numbers um more consistently than not these past few weeks since the all-star break and that a big reason why they managed to get here All right. Is that going to wrap up basketball? It is indeed. Okay. Maybe we've got a shot at this whole 40 minute podcast thing after all. Moving on to Combat Corner this next weekend, we're back to pay per view on UFC, where Israel Adesanya will have his rematch in MMA against Alex Pereira. Really, Pereira winning the fight. 
um, fifth round knockout last time. Of course, these two have history in kickboxing as well, where Pereira also has a knockout win and I think a decision win as well. Uh, I can't quite remember. Um, their first fight. Oh, basically, Pereira said, I am going to move forward, apply boxing pressure, and I just hit too dang hard to not knock you out at some point. And that's what he did. And Izzy won most of the fight. In the first round, he was able to get touches. He was able to land damage. Uh, in the third round, he was able to get a trip off of kind of reckless pressure uh, and just out-grapple entire Pereira that showed fruits in the fourth when Pereira basically didn't throw for four minutes because he looked dead in the water. Uh, but Pereira did a really good job checking kicks, which is something Adesanya has just outwizarded all his opponents except Jan Blahovic, and had a huge advantage and just uh, money in the bank, distance management, uh, something to think twice about. So the checks made Pereira not have to worry about those kicks at all. And he was always there just waiting for the slip up. And when the kicks had done some damage, when the footwork was somewhat compromised, Israel finally stopped having that urgency to circle out off the back of the cage and he kept his butt there for a little too long stayed a little too comfortable in the pocket and Pereira found his mark and was able to just tee off so I I think both fighters are gonna look back at this fight and feel like there's a lot they could do better like I I'm assuming Pereira goes with the same game plan uh, but if he does some basic things on the grappling, if he looks at what Leon Edwards did to nullify so much of Usman's clinch work, if he just thinks about being a half step slower and out of range uh, so he doesn't have to have his focus all the time in the boxing pocket because it gave Adesanya so much opportunity to just freely land, uh, he could implement basically the same game plan and do it much more effectively. For Adesanya, it's going to be about circling more, showing more awareness, um, having a 25-minute approach, knowing what's coming, and like being ready for that 25-minute gauntlet, um, and being able to mix it up. Maybe you don't go to the leg kick so much because the checking presence is there, and uh, Pereira landed some nasty ones on Adesanya too, so that kind of doubled up against him. Or maybe someone totally shakes up the game plan and does something very different. Uh, so we'll have our recap on that next week. Very excited to see what happens. Um, bit of baseball now. Baseball is back. Pitch clock is good. Wow. Blue Jays did not start hot. Uh, after a good win, they, they dropped the next two to St. Louis. They're in tough a little bit on this road trip. 10-game road trip to start the season as the... Rogers Center finishes its final renovations. So we'll be looking forward to welcoming the Jays home in, in just another week from now. But until then, they have to get through the Kansas City Royals tonight and then head out west to face Otani and the Los Angeles Angels. Only in baseball. 10-game road trip. They'll be back next week. In a similar... No, the thought's gone. On the tennis talk. Uh, Miami Open Finals wrapping up this past Sunday where Yannick Sinner took on uh, Daniel Medvedev. It would be criminal not to mention that the tennis world's hearts has been captured by the Sinner-Alcaraz rivalry, uh, which seems to have become one of the best in tennis. Uh, meeting for the fifth 
time, I believe, in the semifinals where Sinner was able to take revenge from Indian Wells, uh, win a tiebreak, drop one, and then overcome the cramping Alcaraz to reach the finals. Uh, but maybe the physical toll of that match still lingering on Sinner. Medvedev did his thing. Sinner was able to hold tight, hold tough in the long rallies early, but they just showed up as money in the bank for Medvedev the more it went on. Even early, Medvedev was doubling Sinner on the nine-shot-plus sh nine rallies one, and that number just got more and more out of line in Medvedev's favor as the match went on. Uh, Sinner able to break, break both sets, but Medvedev able to break more times. He takes it 7-5-6-3, I believe. Um, and so we wrap up this first quarter of tennis, January, February, March, with Medvedev having won the most number of titles, being the hottest, rolling off. That's five consecutive finals exper experienced, and four of them he wins, save for that one outing in Indian Wells. Uh, and how good he looked for most of Miami does kind of put some emphasis on his point that something was funny about the court at Indian Wells. Uh, and he had a great way of pointing that out in his post-match victory in Miami. Um, Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner are probably the two next hottest players to roll off. We talked about some of Sinner's success in February. For Alcaraz, it's more been a question of when can you show up, but he wins in Argentina, reaches the finals in Rio, wins in Miami, or excuse me, wins in Indian Wells and reaches the semis in Miami. Excuse me. So those three players, definitely three to watch heading into clay season which really kicks off this week. We've got two 250 tournaments underway. Not going to get to the stories on those uh, because want to talk a little about the three masters coming up over the next six weeks. So from April 9th to May 21st, exactly six weeks, we will have three 1,000 masters uh, titles crowned in Monte Carlo, in Madrid, and in Rome. Stefano Tsitsipas, Carlos Alcaraz, and Novak Djokovic, your respective defending champions for those three. And Monte Carlo is looking like the who's who is going to be there. One Novak Djokovic and one Rafael Nadal have already touched down in Monte Carlo and have posted practice videos. Nadal does still need to be cleared for competition, but I don't think he'd be going to Monte Carlo and practicing if he wasn't confident that he, he would get the clearance. No visa restrictions for Novak, uh, so seeing how those two play against the momentum we talked about Alcaraz, Medvedev, and Sinner having, Stefano Tsitsipas, who's had a really disappointing February and March, will look to turn it around. He's won this title two consecutive times, so really his second defense here, mounting in Monte Carlo. And then other interesting names, like Casper Rudd, who's also had a pretty disappointing start to the year, uh, who has won most of his titles on clay. He will be competing at the aforementioned 250-level event, so that'll be a nice little bellwether to see where he's at heading in. Taylor Fritz as well, who's dropped a bit in the rankings with those Indian Wells points gone, but a top 10 staple at this point in the draw. Always love Andre Rublev, Felix Oje Aliasim, Alexander Zverev going to be competing, Cam Nori, Matteo Berrettini, Denis Shapovalov. Uh, everyone wants to play Monte Carlo, so getting a lot of the best of the best, uh, plenty of other interesting names and momentum going on. 
Uh, so we'll be excited to talk a little more about that this time next week. Hopefully there's no pullouts by any of the aforementioned players, but very excited to see a lot the storylines of this 2023 ATP Tour, which looks like a lot of momentum is all coming to confront each other. Uh, it's all in a good place come this clay season. Wow. Well, I guess by cutting hockey out, we managed to get through the whole podcast in 36 minutes. Yeah, well, because we, again, we've known who the Leafs are going to play in the playoffs since November. Um, <laughs> I got to say, if I was a professional tennis player, I would never pass up to go go into Monte Carlo yeah, for whatever it. event level it is. <laughs> that's just one of the spots you have to go to. Yeah, I, I think when we eventually make it and are doing our live coverage of sports, we'll put that one at the top of the list to be 100%. visiting. Yeah, and we'll add we'll add a Monaco for the F1 Grand Prix as well yeah. to that to that list. Once we fit that one in there under it. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of which, because we have the time, just a crazy race this past weekend in Australia. Uh, I believe it's three red flags. Uh, so three restarts in the race. Uh, only 12 of the drivers finished out of the 20. Oh my just goodness. Debris galore, penalties galore. Uh, a really, really shocking and entertaining race that happened at 2 a.m. Eastern. So a lot of us were catching up to it the next day. Uh, but uh, uh, all over the board, F1 season to start if you are talking about 3 through 20. But of course, the two Red Bulls stay atop. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on that. If anything else very exciting happens, but I think that's going to wrap up the sports for this one. What uh, what else you got here at the end, Max? Um, it's been a really slow start to the year in terms of new music that's come out in 2023 for me, which has been somewhat disappointing. There's definitely some stuff I need to circle back on and check out. But I was happy to have a couple singles drop this past New Music Friday and uh, enjoy listening to some of them. So this week I'm plugging a Finnish rock metalcore, musy kind of sounding band called Fixation. Uh, listen to their signal single. I always mess that up. Ignore the Disarray Plenty. Uh, probably one of the bands at the very top of my list of have not released an album yet that I am hyped for to do so, which I think they'll be doing sometime this year. Uh, so fixation, ignore the disarray. Check it out. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give my uh, my friends a shout out here. Uh, a former roommate of mine, a band called Waterfowl, released their first album on Apple Music and Spotify. Uh, called Habitat. So give that a listen if you have the chance. I was vibing to it. It's short. It's 10 songs, but it's it's a good time. Really chill, chill, chill tunes. Um, good vibe and proud of those guys for for sending that one out. So I'll just plug that here at the end of the pod. Wow. I did not see that coming. A lot of my <laughs> favorite albums uh, in the past few years have been around 30 minutes though. Um, 30 to 40 minutes so this podcast still falls in the correct range cutting it right at the last minute as we always do on this podcast in sports next door signing out you get to the station there's this crazy sound hey man this ain't no fishing town yeah they're fishing that ain't all